What is up, family? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor and author of Pre-Med Mondays. Both books are available on Amazon.com, so you can grab a copy there. And you're listening to the Black Men in White Coats podcast. This is the place where black male clinicians have the platform to share their stories with the rest of the world, talk about their struggles, and talk about their trials. I'm really excited about today's guest, but before I get into that, I do want to take a quick second just to let the folks on the East Coast know, I'm talking the Carolinas, Virginias, let you guys know that our prayers are with you with Hurricane Forest. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. And stay positive. You're going to come out this successful on the other side, all right? So Dr. Lamar Hasbrook is our guest today. You're going to be impressed with this story. This is an excellent story. Again, similar to Dr. Kelso last week, he's been through a lot of stuff. He came from what a lot of people would consider next to nothing. And from that developed into a CEO, into a professor, into the director of a public health department. And now he serves as a senior consultant advisor at the American Medical Association. I forgot to mention, he's also an author. Book's called G Street Lions. So if you're interested in learning more about that, go to his website, drlamarmd.org. G Street Lions, the name of that book. And you're going to hear a lot of great stuff about him today, okay? One thing I want to say to parents before we get into this, though, there is a portion of his story which gets really real, all right? It gets really real. And if your children are listening to this, you need to make sure you're listening to it with them. And they need to be mature enough to comprehend the situation. There's no vulgarity, nothing like that. What I'm talking about is he goes through a period of his training where it's really tough. And the difficulties of it had his brain spinning and thinking about some things where he could have harmed himself. And parents need to talk about that with their children so children understand what he was going through and how he was was able to overcome that. Okay, so I strongly encourage and this is my disclosure. Don't let your children listen to this on their own. It's a maturity thing here. Okay, all right. Don't forget, we have the worksheets online, so go to www.blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash worksheets, and you can get a copy of this week's worksheet, all right, and do it with your kid. It helps them with your comprehension, helps them with your development, and just to understand more about the field of medicine. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, and make sure you share the podcast with a friend. Help us get the word out. We have a social mission here, okay, Black Men and White Coats. With that said, allow me to introduce you to Dr. Lamar Hasbrook. I grew up in what you might consider a deficit community, and by that, what I mean is um, my environment, my neighborhood, uh, lacked a lot of things. Um, I didn't really know it at the time. I didn't really know it until I made a series of good decisions that landed me at the university, um, whereas my mom didn't go to college and my dad didn't graduate from college. Um, But I realized once I got in college that the neighborhood and the community I grew up in had a lot of deficits. Number one, the education was lacking. It was public schools, uh, overcrowded classrooms. Um, of course, we were, uh, most of my childhood, I was, uh, um, in a, um, single parent household, just my mom. She remarried when I was 12, 13, but prior to that, um, didn't really have that permanent dad in the home and, you know, on welfare and on free lunch and free breakfast at school and, you know, just kind of a, not the best education, the best education for my circumstance, but not the best education overall. So I realized that when I got to college and I was so far behind compared to others. And I felt like I was finishing high school while trying to um, start college. Um, the other deficit in my community was really a deficit in terms of health and health care. 
and especially in terms of uh, wellness care, what we might call preventive care. Um, in other words, I didn't go uh, myself and my three siblings. We never went to the to the doctor's office um, when we were feeling well. We went when we broke something or busted something or needed stitches or had a high fever. Um, and it was always uh, typically through the urgent care or the emergency department. Um, dental care was not heard of. There was no preventive dental um, exams. Um, you know, I, I say often, or I recall often that my preventive care for dentistry was really when the Crest uh, mobile unit came and parked in my community and handed out free toothbrushes and uh, little small um, tubes of toothpaste and those little red tablets that you would chew and uh, disclose kind of where you had cavities and where you missed brushing. That was my dental care growing up. So a lot of deficits growing up. And when I got to college and I realized this, uh, I decided that, you know, if I finished college, um, that I would uh, go on to try to be a health professional of some sort to address communities that had similar deficits. Um, landing on the campus of UC Berkeley, um, you know, in my my uh, fresh new backpack and walking the campus and seeing everybody buzzing around and, you know, it just seemed like it was a lot of opportunities and possibilities. And so I felt like, you know, I could kind of be anything, do anything right along with, with everyone else. So I decided I'm going to be a doctor my freshman year going in. The problem was my counselor, who happened to be an African-American man, um, did everything he could uh, to discourage me essentially telling me that, um, ah, you know, it's going to be tough. You know, you've got to have good grades. You know, you've got to compete with a lot of other people. Um, you know, they don't take everybody. And again, this was my first or second week on campus. And, you know, he didn't know me from a can of paint, nor did he know what my potential was. Now, admittedly, I wasn't over my head, <laughs> but he didn't know that. Um, and so I think ultimately I, I decided to pursue medicine because um, many people, starting with my counselor, my assigned counselor um, at UC Berkeley, uh, decided for me that I couldn't. And so it was really about uh, pushing myself and trying to challenge myself to do something that everyone said I couldn't. I didn't know how I would do it, but I felt that I could canvas the environment and find the things uh, that I needed to know, needed to learn um, to become a physician. And ultimately, um, by setting that audacious goal, and achieving it, I could help communities uh, much like the one that I grew up um, in um, with, with many of those deficits. I met a lot of recruiters along the way who tried to discourage me. Um, they would find out um, that I was at Berkeley. That was a positive thing. They were excited. You know, their eyes would widen. African-American male at a, at a great institution who wants to go to medical school. Sounds great. Then it asked me what my GPA was. When I told him it was 2.5, 2.7, the love fest ended immediately, um, and uh, they didn't want to have much, much, to, much to talk about after that. It got so um, ridiculous that after a while, I started lying about my GPA just to see how far <laughs> they would uh, kind of go along and trying to send me, you know, materials and give me buttons and pins and you know and invite me to things, and so my. 2.5, 2.7 became a 3.7, um, and it was the love fest was on. So it was laughable and comical 
Um, but that's kind of the levity that I use to kind of get myself through those things. The take home message from them was with those grades, you're not going to any medical school. You can forget about it. I had a lot of challenges on my journey um, to become a physician. Uh, there were the self-doubts that were sometimes crushing as I confronted organic chemistry or had to repeat organic chemistry, I think, three times at one point. Um, some of the other coursework, um, uh, you know, the, the volume of work when I got into medical school and failing a few classes in my second semester, my first year of medical school and, um, you know, risking not being promoted with my classmates and have to put, having to pull a rabbit out of the hat in terms of taking two makeup final exams. And so those were all challenging. But I would say my greatest challenge was my very first year in residency as an intern. Um, and being assigned on the medical ward, I mean, automatically going from, you know, a medical student that just went through orientation to a, um, a physician, uh, first year physician intern, uh, who was in charge of a service that had 13 to 15 patients on it, trying to get to know all of those patients trying to get through the daily rounding and the daily errands and all the assignments from x-rays to CAT scans to chasing down labs and reporting those labs, writing progress notes and charts, and just being very, very, very overwhelmed um, and feeling like a very small fish in a, in a big pond. I went to one of the premier medicine programs in, in New York City, and um, I just felt like I couldn't catch up. I couldn't catch up. And couldn't catch up on the rounding, on the note-taking, on the procedures. Everything was just an avalanche of patients. I was drowning in patients, and I was staying there later and later, night after night, trying to get my work done, so much so that I had to show up sometimes early in the morning to write the note and backdate it from the day before because I was just so exhausted and couldn't finish. Finally, I hit my break point on rounds one morning where I just... I glazed over, my eyes glazed over, and I felt like I was out of control, overwhelmed, out of my depth, and that something was going to happen either to me or to a patient as a result of me missing something. And at that point, I just began to break down on rounds, actually physically slow down my pace, drag behind the team, and then um, actually started breaking down in tears because I felt like my, my dream was going to end because I was not uh, equipped to handle the volume, to handle the pace. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't good enough, strong enough. Um, I didn't have the endurance that the other um, first year uh, medical residents did. And, you know, and just coming to the realization that, you know, if not this, then what? I put all my eggs in this basket. I've been training and you know, to get here, to make it into medical school and, um, uh, or to graduate medical school at this point and to, to make it into a great residency program, my first choice. You know, I got into my first choice in the match and here I was at, you know, at, at Cornell. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't make it. Got so bad to the point where when I went home, I would sometimes on my way home think about, you know, um, actually committing suicide, you know, and ending it all and walking into traffic because, I, you know, I couldn't think about facing my family and facing myself, not for, uh, for this dream. Um, fortunately, uh, my resident saw my dismay. Uh, he took me to the chief resident, 
Um, and, and in 20 minutes of her telling me how much confidence they had in me and how much it sounded like I needed a break and giving me a week off from the service and starting me back on a service with less volume, getting some counseling along the way, I was able to break through. And um, I was able to uh, live to fight another day. I was able to get my feet solidly under me. And I was able to, in a week or two, go back to that medical service um, and push through um, and succeed and build confidence along the way. And and so I was able to really resurrect my dream. But that was a very dark time for me, um, not having much family support there and, um, and being confronted with, with the dream slipping away. Um, but I made it. And thankfully... My greatest joy actually came that same year, some months later, when I was on the outpatient service, the once a week uh, service where you have outpatients and um, you have a panel of patients. And I was, it was called SEMA, Cornell Internal Medi Medicine Associates. And I had my usual panel of patients and I was running just a little bit behind and trying to write my notes and do all the things that doctors do. Um, to move on to the next patient and to try to stay on top of their day so they're not in the clinic all day. And then one of my uh, repeat patients came in, an older African-American woman. And uh, I had examined her and we addressed all of her medical issues. And um, I was writing my notes and, and busying myself to to finish up, to, to move on to the next patient, to get her, uh, you know, discharged and in her instruction so I can move on. And right out of the blue, um, she uh, uttered words that I will never forget. She said, very calmly, I'm proud of you. And it startled me. Um, as a first-year intern, medical intern, uh, not a lot of people tell you that they're proud of you. And, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of up days. Um, but but there there she was giving me this this compliment out of the blue. And it arrested me almost because I didn't know it was coming from. And then she followed up and said, you know, just like Joe Lewis, you know, when he won that big fight, you know, that's how I feel. And I thought to myself, because obviously of different generations, she was about my grandmother's age. And, but I had heard of Joe Lewis, you know, the brown bomber, the, the boxer that broke the color barrier for professional sports. And um, I knew he was a heavyweight champion and he'd won a big fight um, against you know, a, a, a white, um, boxer at the time, the, the, uh, preeminent boxer at the time. And I just remember stopping and thinking to myself, the impact, the positive impact that I had on her by just being me, by just being an African American male or an African American physician, her physician, uh, caring for her and her health needs. And just thinking about the things she must have seen in her 70-year life um, and to be at a predominantly white institution and to be assigned, you know, uh, a black physician on New York's Upper East Side. Um, and for her to relay that to me made me feel special, really special at that time. And I, and, and, um, and I thought to myself, who else could she have said that to? Who else could she have extended that compliment to? but someone like me. And at that point in time, we, we bonded, you know, two different generations, generations away, but her appreciation of me and what I must have represented in terms of breaking through the challenges that she probably implicitly knew 
I had to have overcome to make it there. Um, and, and there we were, patient uh, and doctor, but grandson and grandmother in a way, and just and just feeling uh, appreciated um, and uh, for being my authentic self. And that was probably uh, my greatest joy um, that I've had in the practice of medicine, even to, to this day, 25 years later. I would imagine young people who are interested in medicine get a lot of advice. African-Americans and other people of color uh, get advice um, as well. Um, common, the common thread of advice is the, the saying that, you know, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. If you can dream it, uh, you can be it. Um, I happen to think that that's not true. In fact, I would say that you don't get what you dream. And I would even go as far as saying you probably don't deserve what you dream. And what I mean by that is you really only get what you're willing to work for. So it starts with a dream, true enough, but you have to dream it and then you have to plan the work and then you have to work the plan and then and only then can you achieve it. And that's the part that that quote often leaves out, leaves out, implying that you can dream it and then you can be it without all the hard work that comes in between. And there is a whole lot of hard work um, in sleepless nights in, you know, volume that you can't possibly read. And, you know, in nights of call that you think you, you're hoping that maybe you'll get one patient and you end up getting five or six. And there's a lot of challenges and hurdles that you have to overcome, but just realize uh, that every physician, every person that's proud enough and has the honor of eventually wearing that white coat had to go through all of the things that you have to go through, that you will go through um, in your journey. So start by dreaming it, but be willing to plan the work, work the plan, um, and to realize it because if it's not, it's not worth having if it's not really sacrificing for. And I don't think medicine comes easy to, to, to anybody. There may be some aspects, there may be some courses, there may be some dimensions. I was really good with procedures. You know, I really liked uh, medicine as opposed to uh, pediatrics. Um, you know, there'll be things that, that will resonate with you, but it won't come easy. Um, it definitely won't come easy. Um, so, I would also say that remember that your vision for yourself is the most important. It's more important than the vision your parents have for you, more important than the vision that your uh, your uh, partner or your spouse may have for you, uh, your professor or your mentor. It's your vision. It's the most important. It's more important than anyone else's vision because people will oftentimes sell you short. They will often limit your potential because seeing your potential through their limited potential sometimes. So uh, remember that your vision is, is the thing that's driving, you know, your dream, you know, your vision is the thing that's driving you to your goal. I often say that success requires only two things, optimism and a stubborn belief in oneself. And as long as you continue to believe in yourself, you can canvas any environment at any point in time, find a route, 
a pathway to achieve that goal. And it may not be through the front door. It may not be through the traditional, you know, um, you know, four years here, four years there. It will be whatever it has to be for you and for your success. If you continue to fuel that dream and understand that you must have a stubborn belief in yourself and you must be optimistic about your possibilities. And with that, you will succeed. I'm Lamar Hasbrook. I am a physician executive. I've been a professor. I've been a researcher. I am a mentor. I am an internist. And I am a black man in a white coat. If you're not feeling that story, I don't know what you're going to feel. I told you at the start, he's come from, quote unquote, the dumps, and he's made it to essentially, you know, some of the top ranks in healthcare. So that is just an amazing story. I am proud to say that there are individuals like that who represent us in the community and individuals who are continuing to do such great things. And what's even more awesome is there are a lot more coming. So a lot of you guys who are listening to this, you're up next. You're in the pipeline next. You're going to be the individuals who are coming through the ranks. Yeah, it's going to be hard. You heard what he said. He said, plan the work, work the plan. If you don't sacrifice for it, it might not be worth having, right? So it's going to be tough to get through there, but you can make it. And when you get to that position, you got to remember to look back the same way Dr. Hasbrook does and go help out, help the next people. When you get to the top of the ladder, you reach your hand down, you pull up the next person. All right. You got to remember that. You got to remember that. And that's just what I love about what Dr. Hasbrook does. Everything he's given back to the community. And essentially, he's in a lot of service positions, director of the public health department. You can go on his website, you see pictures with him with kids and things of that sort. That's what's important. You know, end of the day, we're doctors. We take care of patients. We're servants. We serve people. But that servitude doesn't have to stop within the confines of the hospital. We can go beyond the hospital. We can help kids. We can help the poor. We can help all sorts of people. And the great thing about becoming a doctor is that it puts you in a position to do that. When you have people like Dr. Lamar Hasbrook who grew up in some of these situations, now he's able to go back to those communities that he came from and he can help. And that's why I love black men and white coats. So many people doing that. So many people doing that. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to the episode. Next week, we have got my friend, Dr. Steve Spencer, who's an emergency medicine doctor. And he's got an interesting perspective. He is doing work in an area where there are not very many black people at all. So you're going to enjoy his story as well. All right. Remember, plan the work, work the plan, plan the work, work the plan. Remember to subscribe and share Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever you got. Share the podcast, get the word out and go to blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash worksheets to make sure your kids and your students are doing these worksheets. I love you guys. And I'll see you next week. (laughs) 